Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby. And I'm Mary Kay Cabot. And the Browns have wrapped up minicamp, Mary Kay. They have wrapped up their off-season program. We are now headed into what is hopefully the NFL's dead period here before training camp starts. And what we're going to do today for our big story is we're going to talk about Tyrod Taylor. So Tyrod Taylor is the Browns' starting quarterback. Uh, there's no question about that going into training camp at this point. There might have been, well, you could have talked yourself into that maybe in the off going into the offseason program that maybe Baker Mayfield could could make a run. But based on everything that we have been told, based on what we've seen out on the field and the practices we've gotten a chance to see, we, we've seen six of them. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is very much in control of this offense, and that's what we're gonna, what we're going to spend the first portion of this podcast talking about. Tyrod Taylor. I, I mean, what have you seen from him over the course of this spring? Well, I think he has complete command of this offense so far, and he had to learn all new terminology, just as everyone else does on the offense. But uh, I really think that uh, he's out there zipping around, throwing touchdown passes, using his legs, rolling out. Uh, he's being a really good dual threat quarterback, and he has really separated himself from Baker Mayfield. Uh, Baker just really hasn't been able to catch up yet in part because he's still learning the fundamentals of the game, how to play under center, how to read a defense, how to slide a protection, how to call for the motion. You know, I mean, he is really just, it's just coming at him like an avalanche right now. And he's not ready uh, to challenge Tyrod for the starting job. It's just not there. And you can see that out on the field. And and I don't think that's going to change because... Things aren't super complicated right now here in spring. Obviously, you're learning a lot of things, but you're not doing quite as much as you might do once training camp comes along and the defense can throw more things at you. You put pads on that third day. Um, So he's still got, as Todd Haley said, he's still got a ways to go even beyond what he's learned so far in the spring. Yeah, and you know what? I think they've done a good job of managing it, too. Because you could start to muddy the waters a little bit if you were giving him any first-team reps out there, right? I mean, we've heard things from other camps where Josh Allen is getting a few first-team reps, although I believe he's going into camp as the third team. Yeah, I think that's what I saw today. Now, Baker was moved up to the second team last week, and we knew that that was significant because 
Once you do that, you're really not going to move him back down to third team. So he will head into camp as the number two quarterback, basically. It doesn't mean he'll be the next guy into a game. I mean, if Tyrod Taylor gets hurt in the second week of the season, I would think that Drew Stanton would probably be, would go in for him. I would think. Uh, but I don't know. that. You know, that's a little bit down the road. The thing is, they made a commitment that Tyrod Taylor was going to be the starting quarterback at the beginning of the season, and they've held true to the process and to the progress of Baker Mayfield. And that's been important. So let's talk specifically about Tyrod and what it means um, moving forward. Because obviously one is stability. You know who the guy is. There's not going to be any question day to day who the guy is. You're not going to be, like you said, you're not going to be messing with reps as far as first team. You know, maybe Baker sneaks a couple in here and there if he progresses well, but it doesn't mean anything necessarily. Um, You're the players know who's going to be in that huddle. I mean, we've heard players just rave about Ty. Everybody who's talking about Tyrod Taylor is just absolutely raving about him. Yes, absolutely. Coaches, coordinators, players, you name it, they are raving about Tyrod Taylor. He's setting a good example for Baker because one of the things that everybody always says about Tyrod is he is the first one in the building and he's the last one to leave. And he set up workouts in the offseason season. Uh, right away, he got guys together and, and kind of got a head start on the offense. And he plans to do that again during the break. And Baker is seeing how a professional works. And Tyrod, look, he's a six-round pick. He knows <laughs> that he has to earn every single moment of playing time that he's ever going to get. He's always going to have to uh, come from behind. And he admitted something to NFL Network yesterday that we tried to get that out of him a little bit when we had his introductory press conference, and he was not going there. <laughs> but sometimes when you're in a one-on-one interview with someone, which we don't get a lot of yeah. those, uh, but you know when you're sitting one-on-one with someone like they had a chance to do, you can get, you can get into the flow of an interview. And they asked him uh, and got that out of him where he said that he comes to work motivated every day by that Bill's snub, and that you know that drives him and that he would love to knock them out of the playoffs. So uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Yeah, think about that. I mean, you sit behind Joe Flacco for all those years. You know, don't really get an opportunity in Baltimore. End up in Buffalo. Do nothing but win there. I mean, not win big, necessarily, but, you know, you come away with a winning record. You That team is in contention for the playoffs every year. They actually get to the playoffs your final year there. And then they trade you for a third-round pick. It's... I mean, if that doesn't put a chip on your shoulder, I don't know what doesn't. And, you know, with Tyrod, when he talks to us, he's pretty low-key. He's pretty mellow. But you don't get where you don't get where he is to this point, starting for an NFL football team without having a little bit of a chip on your shoulder based on his background. Yeah, so we're seeing that uh, in what he said again to NFL Network that that he is motivated by that snub. And then Hugh Jackson told a little anecdote yesterday to us just about how uh, you know he would call a play. There's no contact in these practices, and he would call a play a sack, and Tyrod would say, uh, you know. No, there's no way that that was a sack, and then he would, you know, kind of call out the defense a little bit. They'd be woofing it up, uh, celebrating their, you know, would-be sack, and he would be saying to them things like, "I've seen your tape. That wouldn't have been a sack." And and in in many cases, it might not have been because he is proving out here to be pretty quick and pretty mobile, and um, and he just looks comfortable. He looks really, really comfortable. And it's sort of playing out the way that they wanted it to. And the other thing this does, too, is it's going to allow him to spend all of camp, again, not looking over his shoulder. He's going to be spending camp connecting with Jarvis Landry and Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman. And these guys are going to get a ton of reps together. They're going to get those game reps together in the preseason. You're not going to be messing around with who's starting what game. 
Um, and, and that's going to be big, too, because that's something this team has really missed. You know, Deshaun Kaiser last year didn't start a preseason game until game three in Tampa. And there was a lot put on him. He wasn't ready for it. That became obvious. And then you add in the fact that he just never had an opportunity to build a rapport, to work against the first team defense, all of those things. It just really, he was behind the eight ball from the start. Yeah, and again, uh, like you said, they were splitting up all those first team reps. And that's hard. It's hard to be ready for the season when you don't have that timing down. That's why the starters get all the reps during the season because it's that important to to run through you know, through, through the plays and through the drills and all those kinds of things and really have it down. And we're seeing him play some good situational football. We see them do a lot of red zone, backed up in their own end zone, uh, and, and he just looks very experienced. He started a lot of football games. You know, we haven't seen that around here for a while. You know, I mean, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of starters, recent starters that have come through here that have not started a lot of games previously. So to have an experienced veteran is a great thing for these receivers for the, for this whole offense and he's very accurate and I think that's helping everybody too because like you said uh, Deshaun Kaiser last year when, you know once he started taking all the reps I think there was a little bit of frustration on the part of some of the receivers and the backs that uh, you know maybe the ball you know he needed to take a little bit of something off of it or it just wasn't always on the money uh, but Tyrod Taylor has a very good arm, and he's very accurate. And we saw, I mean, we saw it yesterday. The, there was a throw he made to Jarvis Landry. It might have been the last play of, of practice. Right. To the back of the end zone, back corner of the end zone. He mm-hmm. was on the move. Landry made a great catch. Taylor yep. made a great throw. And that's really been the thing about these OTAs and mini camps. The offense is actually winning some of these days. It's yes. not just the defense beating them up and picking them, picking on them all the time. The offense is actually winning some days. The ball's going into the end zone. It's not on the ground every other play. Um, it just looks different. Yeah, it really does. And again, you do have to take it with a grain yeah. of salt because, of course, there is no contact. And, you know, Tyrod's not getting hit. The receivers aren't getting hit. Nobody's getting pressured uh, and those sorts of things. But... From the comparison of this year, like you said, to previous years, at this time of year, the offense looks far ahead of where it's been. Okay, let's move on to three stories from OTAs and minicamp looking ahead to training camp. We're just going to do some quick hits on these. And Let's talk position battles, because that's what everybody's going to be talking about for the next month and a half uh, until training camp opens at the end of July. So, position battles. Quarterback, we talked about. Not mm-hmm. going to happen. There isn't one there, which is bizarre. Right. <laughs> um, right. So, for me, I guess I guess I'm kind of looking at left tackle. I think that's mm-hmm. the most prominent one, right? Right. Is there... Is that the position battle you're most interested in, or is there something else you're, you're keeping an eye on? Well, I'm also keeping an eye now on the safety battle. Oh, that's a good one. The strong and safety And one we didn't battle. even really know about until <laughs> right. this week. Right. We really did not have a good handle on the fact. We just started looking out there and seeing Derek Kindred in with the starting defense a whole lot this week. So I started asking Hugh Jackson about that the other day, and he said, you know what? Derek's just not going to give up that job, and Jabril Peppers is going to have to go out and earn it. We think he's going 
to have a sensational season, but there's a heck of a battle going on there. And then Greg Williams, we had him today, and he talked about that, how he thinks that's going to be one of the better battles in camp. There will be a lot of fireworks there, and it should bring out the best in those guys. And who knows, you know, maybe it's true, maybe this is really a battle, or maybe they're really trying to motivate Jabril Peppers and bring out the best of him because he's a first-round pick, and they have very high expectations for him. And that's something they've done kind of across the board is try to create as much competition. So that could be maybe they're just trying to make sure he's not comfortable. Right. You know, I mean, you never really know. Uh, it, it doesn't really seem like that's what they would be doing because, you know, they're excited about the fact that now he will not be playing that deep angel position. <laughs> he's back up closer to the line where I think he can take advantage of his big hitting ability. I think he just wants to really hit someone. And he was yeah. too far away to really take advantage of that last year. So I think he's excited to be closer to the line. You would think that they would want to give him all the reps that they can possibly get him there with the first team. But he's actually just getting a ton of reps because he's playing. Uh, he's just playing some with the first team and a lot with the second team. So I think it's extra reps, actually. Uh, at left tackle, it's Sean Coleman who will open camp as the number one guy. But you know, Austin Corbett's going to get an opportunity there. Um, Joel Batonio could get an opportunity there. He got some work there in OTAs. We didn't actually get to see it. We weren't out here when that happened, but mm-hmm. um, he, he might get some opportunities there in training camp. Uh, there's a few guys that could kind of work their way in if Coleman doesn't take a hold of that job quickly. Yeah, I mean, I remember back when they first drafted Joel Batonio, uh, because he was a starting left tackle at Nevada in the same way Austin Corbett was, we all thought that he was the heir apparent to Joe Thomas. Well, now he's got years of experience under his belt in the game. So eventually maybe Austin Corbett will take over that role. But for now, if they need an experienced guy that can play over there on that left side, and again, you've got a mobile quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, so he can get away. And it's not as vital that you have uh, a Joe Thomas caliber player there because they don't have a stationary quarterback. So, you know, maybe you could put a Joel Petonio over there, and then you put Austin Corbett at left guard, and he can kind of fill... Uh, the role of Joel Batonio there, the way that you know, the way that he stepped in for him at Nevada, replace him here. The other one, linebacker. Uh, we got a little clarity today on on where Michael Kendricks will play. There was some thinking that maybe he would play middle linebacker where Joe Schobert is, the Mike. Uh, that's not the case. He's going to be on the outside. Uh, Chris, Christian Kirksey's spot, he might get some time there. He could even end up maybe getting some time in Jamie Collins' spot. So it sounds like Michael Kendricks is going to move around, and that's I don't know if that's a, a battle per se, but it's going to be interesting to see all those guys kind of fight for playing time. Yes, it was. it did get a little confusing because he plays on the outside at the weak side spot mostly in a 4-3, and then he plays inside in a 3-4. And, of course, Greg Williams, Blake Williams, those guys, they will mix it up a <laughs> yeah. lot. I mean, you're you're going to see all different kinds of fronts, all different kinds of fronts, and they will try to confuse the offense, and they will, in the process, confuse us, right? <laughs> uh, so you'll be looking at different numbers of linebackers on the field at different times. You'll see them uh, switching spots and positions. But in the base 4-3 defense, he will be weak side linebacker, which leads me to believe, are they going to move Kirksey inside at times, or is Jamie Collins not going to be ready for a while? I don't really know what the thinking is there, but like you said, this is definitely a position to watch the linebackers. And I wonder if we'll see some 3-4 fronts, maybe some 4-4 fronts. Right. Who knows? Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, let's talk about a couple wide receivers. So our second story here, uh, Corey Coleman. Todd Haley had some very strong words about Corey Coleman today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about Corey Coleman 
this appears to be a make or break year for Corey yeah. Coleman and that's really what it sounds like more and more that this guy he's got Gordon in front of him Landry in front of him we're gonna talk about Gordon here momentarily but for Corey Coleman it really it's got to hit him here at this point this is make or break for him yeah, and you know what? Todd Haley pulled no punches with that today whatsoever. He came right out and said that he's already sort of advised, whatever, warned, cautioned Corey that this is a make-or-break year for him here in his third season, and he's got a lot of competition. And he would not be on the field as much as he is right now if Antonio Callaway weren't suffering from a tweaked groin or whatever the case may be yeah. uh, that happened a couple of weeks ago. We didn't see him at all in minicamp. We didn't see him in the last two weeks of OTAs. So if he had been out there, he was showing enough flashes that I believe they were starting to like him better or at least his potential better than what they saw in Corey Coleman. So, like I said, Todd Haley told him, hey, you've got to step it up, make or break year. We've heard and seen Todd Haley coaching him hard over these past few weeks. They're not messing around with Corey Coleman. When you are picked number 15 overall, Mm -hmm. once again, the expectations are great. You should be heading towards a Pro Bowl mm-hmm. soon. And and the things the things you're watching for are, you know, yesterday we saw a play on the goal line where he took some contact, didn't really finish his route and didn't get to the football. I mean, those are and then a couple plays later, a guy who's not Corey Coleman, CJ Board, who's probably not going to make this team, same sort of situation, fought through the contact and caught the ball. Yeah. Those are the things you want to see Corey Coleman do especially if he's going to be your number two receiver on the outside. He's, you know, we've seen some big playability from him. Yes. But he's mm-hmm. got to be able to make some of those physical catches, fight through contact, make plays after he catches the football. There's a lot that he still needs to show. Well, first of all, they're not really supposed to be taking contact That's true. <laughs> in a minicamp. Uh, so, you know, take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's not the kind of contact that, you know. No, it, it wasn't like bump and run, yeah. which is what they're not allowed to do. It was just sort of, right. uh, it just, was the one-on-one yeah. stuff yeah. going on on the goal line. Yeah, the stuff that you're allowed to do yes. in minicamp. We're not here to get anybody in trouble. <laughs> so let's make that clear. <laughs> but, um, but no, you're right about that. Not only that. What, what, you, what they need from Corey Coleman is for him to really study like a pro, to work like a pro, and to just always 100% go the extra mile. And I think in the past, uh, guys around here really have not had somebody to sort of show them the way, set the tone, you know, that veteran receiver that can, that can show them leadership. Last year they had Kenny Britt here, and he didn't show them the kind of leadership that yeah. they needed. They needed a veteran that can say, this is how it's done. And they really haven't had that. Now Jarvis Landry comes in here. He's a three-time Pro Bowler. There's no way he became a three-time Pro Bowler without working his tail off. So I think he will help set the tone for a Corey Coleman. Well, I'm sure you're seeing it, too. I mean, I look out there, and I'm watching just going through drills, you know, individual drills, things like that. Right. It is very business-like this year. Yes. There's not the stuff that we saw last year, uh, especially a lot of it led by Kenny Britt, honestly. We're not seeing a lot of the, the stuff that was a distraction last year. Yeah. Um, you know, look, guys are allowed to have fun. It's football. Yeah. But when, when it starts affecting you negatively, that, that's when you start to get concerned. Right. A lot more professionalism uh, at the receiver position this year and also a lot more competition. Whereas you're going to have guys, you know, you're going to have to look at the Richard Higgins and the Ricardo Lewises, and they're going to have to really, really fight to make this team because you've also got a guy like Damian Ratley that who's, he's starting to step up. He's playing a lot with Baker Mayfield, caught a really good catch-and-run TD pass the other day. Um, that was just yesterday. 
so you, you know you you have to wonder but again it's a much better better position okay so the last thing here let's stay in the receiver room josh gordon yeah. Um, a topic that comes up here and there is an expectation for Josh Gordon. I think a lot of people look back at 2013, that historic year that he had. Um, so what is a reasonable expectation for Josh Gordon? We saw how well he played last year uh, when he came back for those five games. And honestly, he wasn't necessarily in football game shape at the time because he hadn't played for so long. Right. Uh, he was in shape, but not necessarily football shape. Right. He, you know... St- maybe wasn't super familiar with the system and and all of that. He was still kind of working his way back. And yet among the receivers, he ended up second in yardage. So only Ricardo Lewis had more yardage than him. And obviously Gordon would have blown that out of the water had he played more. So, you know, with Gordon, what's a reasonable expectation for him now, finally having a full off season program and assuming he stays on the straight and narrow. Well, you know, if you look back at the last two times he's come back to the football team, he has only played in the last five games of the season after having been out the whole first 10 or 11 games of the season. And like you said, now he's got an off season under his belt. So he's developing timing with Tyrod. He's around for the installation of Todd Haley's offense. He's able to learn the terminology. I mean, it's hard to come back with five games left and know what the heck is going on. I mean, you have not been around. There's all the installation has gone on, and you weren't here for that. It's hard to ask somebody to jump in and know all your routes, all your plays, all your site adjustments, all the things that you have to do as a wide receiver. So I think it's a tremendous help for him to have this um this off season. And we talked to him yesterday and he's talking a good game. He, he's he knows he has to take life twenty four hours at a time, one day at a time. He's gotta stay clean. And then I do think that he um he is trying to set a good example for Antonio Callaway. And sometimes you have to give it away. Sometimes you have to give away your recovery to help someone else. And I think that's probably helping Josh. All right, so our Twitter question comes from Walter Hickman, and it has nothing to do with football. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Browns brought in an icy truck yesterday. Um, they backed it in, uh, and the players, some media relations folks got ICs, and Walter Hickman wants to know, did you get an icy, and if so, what flavor? Well, none of us got ICs in the media. No ICs for us. Uh, but he says this, hint, there's only one correct answer to the flavor question. Oh, gosh, I think I know what it is. What is it? It's blue. I see. It's blue. Come on. Is there any other answer? I'm kind of a grape guy. Oh, Daniel. I don't know. You are, I think you're right, though. That, that's probably what he's referring to. <laughs> but I'm you got to have a blue icy. I'm not a big icy guy, though, either. No? To be honest with you. No. So if they ice. had offered you one yesterday, you wouldn't have taken oh, it? Oh, I'd have taken I'm not turning down free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, plus it was like 80 degrees out there yesterday. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we would have taken that. But no one offered us an icy. Can you believe that? I know. I'd have taken a grape one. I know. Even when we were were standing out in the hot sun taping our videos, still (laughs) no one came up to us and said, hey, make your way down to the icy truck. It's just sitting out there. No ICs for us. So that is our Twitter question this week, all about ICs. Is it really blue? I think so. I like grape. I'm a fan of grape stuff. What's our guy's name? Walter Hickman. Walter, let us know what you're talking about there when you get a chance. He says blue. (laughs) 
All right, so our final topic here, we're going to talk about wins. Uh, because, we again, we finished up the spring program. We're going into training camp. And you and I, over the next month and a half, are probably going to get at, asked a million times, how many games can the Browns win this year? So let's kind of set a bar. I've, I've been saying, we've, I've done some Facebook Lives the last couple days, and all the commenters want to know that answer. And I've been saying, look, I think a reasonable expectation, and maybe this is a boring answer, is five wins, six wins. I think that's a reasonable expectation for this team. When you factor in players are going to get hurt, you know, they won zero games last year. That would right. be a, a marked improvement. It really would. And I, you're, I would think you're probably right, but I always set the bar kind of high because I have high expectations for a team that did so much in the offseason – to overhaul this roster, to overhaul this coaching staff, to overhaul this personnel department, to have the number one pick overall last year, to have the number one overall pick this year, to have how many draft picks in the last (laughs) three years. Uh, And, you know, they've got a very, very tough schedule this year. It's the fifth toughest schedule in the NFL. Uh, But still, Dan, it's time for them to win seven games. I've been stuck on that number for a while, (laughs) but I think the fans deserve seven victories. I think the team should aim very, very high. It's time for them to try to get to that seven. And I don't know how they're going to get there because when I look over the schedule game by game. It's not easy. I don't really see it. I'm not really seeing it. But, I mean, do you know what I mean? After all these years, if you can, they got to seven victories in the third year of their the expansion team. That's true. So if you can't do that now after everything that you've done uh, to turn this team around, then I, I don't know. I, I just think it's okay to set the bar that high. Yeah, I, I mean, I could see a situation where they win seven if things play out. And really, I want to see them win a division game. How about that? Too? Yeah. Let's, let's start with winning a division game. They haven't done that since, uh, when was the last time? 2015? It was Mike Pettin's last year. Yeah. It was that game in Baltimore. Um, and they have not won a division game since then. And I guess what you watch for early, and don't want to get too much into the schedule game, but you've got Pittsburgh at home, and we we saw last year Pittsburgh in that opener is not right. the Pittsburgh team you see later in the season. Right. Uh, and, they, and they have some stuff swirling around that could kind of continue that. So maybe if you can steal that one, and then you've got a Thursday night game against the Jets, you can set yourself up to maybe go 7-9 and nine, or even 8-8 eight and eight if you get off to a good start. Uh, by pulling just one upset in those first two games. You skipped the Saints, didn't I know. You? I'm, not, I'm not really hopeful that they'll go down to, the, <laughs> down to New Orleans and, and win. Yes, I skipped the Saints on purpose. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, I, I, I think that when you have, when you're talking about Miles Garrett being a generational player, yeah, and then you start talking about Tyrod, and, and I talked to Ken Zampezi about him a lot today, and he talks about this is just the tip of the iceberg for Tyrod Taylor, and he's this and he's that, and you've got Josh Gordon saying we've got the best receiving core <laughs> in the NFL, and Jarvis Landry is the best. There's a lot of superlatives coming out of Berea. Yes, there are. Jarvis Landry feels like he's the best receiver in the <laughs> NFL. This is the best core. Uh, Emmanuel Ogba, we've been talking about him like he's who? Uh, I don't, I don't know, but it's, <laughs> they they're talking about him like he was certainly good enough to pass on Bradley Chubb, exactly. which says something. Exactly. You know, you've got these good running backs. I guess my feeling on it too, Dan, is when I look back to last year, the name of the game for me more than anything was the turnover battle. 
They lost it consistently, and they lost it big. Minus 28, I think it was, in the turnover ratio. Yeah, I think so. If you just don't turn the ball over and mm-hmm. you actually get some takeaways, which this year that there's a huge emphasis on that, huge emphasis on that. If they can get some takeaways, punch the ball out, get some interceptions, uh, catch the darn ball when you, when you <laughs> actually get it in your hands, those defenders, uh, if they can turn that around, you're going to win some games just by virtue of not losing the turnover battle. So I, I think there are many reasons to believe that they should win at least six or seven games this year. You would hope so. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm going to stay right around five or six. But, yeah. I, I mean, it would be great if this team could just surprise people and go eight and eight. And really the point is what you want is you want to come away from this season feeling, okay, 2019 is going to be the year when they make a leap. You know, maybe they make a leap this year that we aren't, that we don't see coming. But at least, at the very least, you want to come away from this season feeling like 2019, whether it's Baker Mayfield or Tyrod Taylor coming back, that's going to be the year that the Browns make their leap. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this football team, the one that we have watched practiced in this minicamp, I mean, it's a completely different football team in most areas, right? I mean, you look at that secondary. The secondary, obviously, is nothing like what we saw last year. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it's completely different at every single position. So, you know, if if Denzel Ward can live up to his number four status, and that's going to be hard. He's going to have some rookie growing pains. Sure. But he upgrades that position. Uh, the whole secondary should be better. Um, just by virtue of Jamie Collins, if he gets back on time, and uh, Emmanuel Agba coming back from injury, you should have a much better defense. Miles Garrett missed the first four yeah. games of last and season. And then missed some time with a concussion. And missed some time with a concussion. So, you know, you didn't have some of your best defenders on the field last year. They bring in Michael Kendricks. I think he should help. So it's a different football team. It's a, it's a new day. And, and I don't know. I think they should set the bar high. Okay. So uh, that'll do it for our Orange and Brown Talk. Leave us reviews, uh, please. You can follow us uh, on iTunes and the Apple Podcast Store, also on Google Play. Like I said, leave us reviews there. Uh, tell us how many wins the Browns will have this year and also your favorite icy flavor. There you go. We need, we need to know. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody.